Hello and welcome to the Cloud Core Podcast, brought to you by Nordcloud, where we discuss everything cloud. Now sit back, relax, listen in, and enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Core Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking about a very present, current, and interesting topic, potentially revolutionary going forward, which is AI. And once again, I'm joined by two of my colleagues from NorthCloud, Stephen and Alan. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Let's start with a quick intro, maybe with you, Alan, if you can tell our listeners what your role is at NorthCloud, what you do, and also how did you get into the AI space in the first place? Yeah, sure. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Alan Chong. I look after NotCloud UK's data delivery practice and have been involved in Gen AI, actually specifically middle of this year. For Gen AI, it's an exciting time to be in, uh, involved in lots of projects with Gen AI and use cases. Uh, so very excited to share uh, all my observations and learnings with all of you. Thank you. Stephen, how about you? Yes, my, my role is the uh, head of the data business as, as, a, as a whole in the UK for NordCloud. And my, my route here very briefly was in building businesses around data, you know, technology and data for, for many years. I've, for example, you know, built, built a, a, a system that, that allowed you to ground truth space data using machine learning. Oh, okay. uh, I, I'm not a machine, machine learning engineer, I'm not a, a data scientist, but, but putting together all of the different tools available in, in the you know, hyperscaler and in the the, uh, the non-hyperscaler space to, to get the best in breed set of tools. And that was the, that was really the first time I came across AI as a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and generative AI obviously is, is, a, is a, a sidebar of that topic. Yeah, let's talk about that, uh, the different types of AI, because AI obviously has been around for quite a while. I remember when big headline news was the game that uh, the chess master played against uh, and uh, and computer and AI and uh, yeah that was several years back uh, in preparation for this episode I also rewatched a very nice documentary about uh, AlphaGo and the AI that beat the uh, one of the grandmasters in that game uh, or even a personal favorite which is a real time strategy game which is StarCraft even there I learned it was an AI implemented I believe by the same company and here we're talking about, like I said, real-time strategy games, so a whole different ballpark than chess, for example. But now you mentioned already several times uh, generative AI. So can one of you speak to what the difference is? Is the the latter just an evolution of the former, or are we talking about a whole different type of AI? Yep, uh, happy to do that. So generative AI is essentially a subset of AI in general. So you think of AI as your traditional AI, where you have to train a model, mm-hmm. test it, and then you build an AI that, that, that goes with it. Generative AI is actually a subset of um, a field called deep learning, which is a subset of machine learning, which is a subset of AI. Uh, and what it was, was a bunch of transformers, uh, which is a deep learning architecture that was trained on billions and billions of parameters. So lots and lots of data sets to create what we call foundation models. Mm-hmm. And foundation models have been pre-trained. Uh, so I think even GPT is like generative pre-trained. Uh, that's what it stands for, uh, transformer. And that is how it's uh, built such a vast, I guess, knowledge uh, in itself uh, that you can then use to take uh, for it to generate new things. So 
your generative AI has lots of these foundation models and there are different types of foundation models, like even text, as you know, like large language models are all text-based foundation models, but you have images as well, uh, like stable diffusion, DALI that you may have heard yes. of as well, uh, and even video and code and things. So lots of these types of generative uh, AI moving forward right now. I think, I think what's... What's moved forward about generative AI? I mean, you, you know, we've had to kind of generate generative capability on, on your phone, you know, on, on the old handsets, it would generate the next word, the next most likely yeah. word you're going to use. But it's the sheer scale that you're able to do now. And and if, you know, the, the, the most popular example is is the human-like answer that you're going to get from, from, a, from well, the fact that you can ask like a, as a human and, and get a human-like answer because it's trained on so many uh, you know the generative AI models are trained on so many um, you know data points, and that is distinctive, I think, from the old, old-fashioned or more familiar sort of AI, where it, with people are using data to predict things. That that was what AI came came about for. You know, how, how do you win that game of chess? Is well, there are billions of, or well, not perhaps billions, but there are very many millions of, of, of possible routes that a chess game can go down, yes. and, and the computer can can try and think ahead. And and that took a, a really quite staggering amount of compute power. So it's that those large volumes, but the, the difference really with the, the, uh, the user or the, the, um, the organization using that, that the AI is now there are some superb tools rather than have to build everything from scratch. There are some superb tools that, that, that the hyperscaler companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, et cetera, can, can bring so that you can very quickly leverage AI. So perhaps in in the vision space, you know, you can identify objects in a, in a video just using it, just using a tool. There's no, there's no, there's not much integration required in that. Mm-hmm. That that's where that's that's the development of that, as opposed to the generative AI, which is much more more around the sort of human interaction. I like the example that you gave with our mobile phones and you texting and then the phone guessing what the next word is that you want to uh, that you want to type i heard this term llm i believe it is large language models and i don't know if that is true but somebody compared tools like ai's like ChatGPT, that is simply a much more advanced version of that simple guessing what's next type functionality so that the artificial intelligence simply tries to figure out what the next word in the sentence based on the question that you asked it would make most sense is that more or less how it really works or is that not accurate yeah i think in a nutshell in a very simplistic sense an llm the large language model it predicts the next word after something so Mm. when you you write a question or a prompt you know like once upon a it will try and predict the next word, which is usually once upon a time, because based on its training of all that billions of parameters, it has detected the semantic relationships between the words and its meaning rather than just, oh, what comes after a, right? It's, it, it takes the whole phrase into account, right? Once upon a. Um, and that's how, how it's become so powerful in the sense that it not just predicts the next word, but it takes into context the semantic relationship between the words uh, and the previous context as well. Uh, and that's how it can generate something more I guess, usable rather than just, oh, what is the next word after this word? It's what's the next word given this and given your training of those billions of parameters. Uh, so on, so okay. Yeah. okay, let's uh, talk about practical applications because once ChatGPT became as big as it is right now and uh, people all over the internet started to experiment with it and we saw a lot of creative use, not only from that tool, but also, like you mentioned, tools which, uh, which generate images and there's a lot of examples of people creating amazing stuff of 
for example, artwork that was never created by a given artist, but somebody used one of the tools to create a new piece in the style of a given artist, for example. But all of those examples are nice to scroll through on Reddit and so on. But what are some actual practical, let's call them commercial examples that we have already seen that you guys have come across in your work? So the for, I'll start with the LLMs first, right? So the large language models, so the text-based uh, foundation models before I move into the other modes uh, of generative AI. So within the LLMs, uh, I would summarize it as five main functions, right? That an LLM can do. Because right? although you at the end of it, you think of it, it's predicting the next word, but actually what it can do is things like summarize large bodies of text. And that's very good for in case you have lots of uh, annual reports and transcripts that you need to see through it can do just give you summary, uh, summaries of that uh, very quickly. It can do inferring key topics, so extracting uh, information. So think of like customer complaints. You can feed a whole bunch of customer complaints and infer the sentiment of that mm -hmm. and what are the key topics that people are complaining about. Uh, it can do transformation. So you need like a universal translator. Translate all of these texts into French and Spanish and Arabic and things like that. But it can also do code transformation. So translate my Python code into Java or other way around. Uh, the fourth is around Q&A. So uh, performing question and answering on your text. So uh, that's using a technique called retrieval augmented generation, right? You may like come across it in, uh, in the, the media, but that's feeding in your, your corpus of data and asking questions about that. Uh, and of course, your general Q&A chatbots, you can also do that. And the fifth is around uh, generation. So generating new content. So generate a new story, generate a new an email response to a customer complaint, generate my uh, a job description for this mm -hmm. role. So it saves a lot of this from the text base, right? And that's what the LLMs can do. In the other space, for example, image gen, where you can generate images, as you mentioned, yeah, you can generate images in a specific style and then you can tailor your prompts to fit that style. So what you can do in theory is instead of having, you know, stock photos all the time and then you tailor that, you just generate mm -hmm. it, right? So marketing campaigns would be very useful for that. You have posters, you know, you can generate that pretty quickly. So anything that you might need an image for, you don't have to, I guess, get, if you don't want to get an artist or photo and stuff, you can just generate it in theory. I've seen examples that it even goes as far as video, right? Where we can generate entire videos yes. that are based on prompts, right? Is for this type of content, is there any previous input required? Or is that something that the AI can generate from scratch based on what it already knows? Video is, I think, still fairly new, to mm -hmm. be honest. Um, the, the next one, I would say, so right now we have text, we have images. The next is multimodal. So writing a text to generate an image, as you've seen, but also extracting information from an image. So GPT-4V, uh, which is like GPT-4Vision, for example, has that uh, thing. So if you put a picture, it's like a bunch of apples, count the number of apples, it can kind of mm -hmm. do that, for example. Video is, I guess, the next evolution from that. Um, right now, you can feed videos, and we have done it, like that's using computer vision. So that's a bit more traditional AI rather than generating videos, but you can, in theory, like quite soon generate videos because, you know, a video is a sequence of images. You can generate images, you can kind of tie them together and, and go on go on with that. So yes, that would be possible. Great. Mm. And again, the, the, the practicality, um, <clears throat> the practicality that, that uh, our customers want to see is how do I, how do I use this to to make money, save money or, or, or be compliant? You know, that, that's what we're, that's, what we're, that's where we're finding the, mo the most use that's why we're starting with text-based use cases because th those are the easiest to show they, and, and easiest to prove the concept but also they have the least amount of risk up front because you in order to take something from from a, a, a you know playing with something 
playing with the technology. You need to, you need to, you know, take it into production. And there are plenty of challenges which which can be you know can be overcome with those simpler use cases. With the more more ambitious use cases, particularly if you start putting your conversation outside of of the inside of the business, if you start talking to customers outside the business or, or through a public facing web page, for yes. example, you start to bring in many many more issues with security, and and uh, as you can imagine. Yeah, so the, the, the five examples that, that Alan gave are, are a useful starting place for organizations to take to, to take their first steps with generative AI because that will allow them to overcome uh, the the doubters in the business, you know, sell sell the concepts to their business and then prove that they can do something which is valuable and actually, you know, create value within the business. How does that actually look like in practice? Like talk us through an example of a company that are thinking about uh, you know tipping their toes into this uh, space and they have a partner they can talk to about this how would we usually go about thinking of what might be a good use case for a proof of concept now how does this process look like there are there are a couple that, that, that we sort of found repeated themselves through through a number of customers um, probably the easiest is is you know there are people in my company who are using chat gpt I, I don't want them sharing company data with 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 a, a public model, mm. uh, you know, OpenAI is public facing. And, and if you if you're sharing, if you're sharing any data, anything that you interact with OpenAI, ChatGPT, you will be shared, will, will help to train the model. Now, if that's, you know, me, me sharing sort of silly ideas about, you know, poetry or something, then that's fine. But if it's if it's corporate data, then you, you don't want to do that. So the first use case that we ever delivered, I think, was to was to very, you know, demonstrate very quickly that you can you can do that, but within the safe confines of your own network, if you like, okay. network environment. So and that was to leverage the the, the capability that, that hyperscalers have brought by bringing a a model like ChatGPT in within a controlled domain. So if you trust the hyperscaler, mm-hmm. you know, you know, arena, then then that that you know that if it's good enough for you for other things, then it would be good enough for that very much after that the, the first places where you could because that that's that has value but it's very fairly limited value it's just it's a security and a, and a, a warm feeling very quickly after that the, the best use case and, and it's one that comes up every day when we're talking to customers is we've got a lot of documents so text-based documents and we want to be able to as all the things that, 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 that alan described a few minutes ago we want to be able to question and answer that in, in a in a human way we want to summarize the text in that we want to understand the sentiment of emails that we're getting throughout throughout you know kind of coming into us and we want to create something like this but but shorter longer in a number of words with 15 bullets or whatever and and, and other things like that but and that really has it is very easy to deliver those and they have a lot of immediate value for for a user or a set of users mm-hmm. so employees or call center staff or whatever and, and you can immediately make a, a very quick um uh, very quick impact uh without a huge amount of risk and without a huge amount of of um data governance required so long as the documents have been read and that they don't cont- contain any information that shouldn't be shared with with the people that were using the documents you can move very, move forward very quickly okay so summarizing yeah. the first step would be to get quote unquote your private chat gpt platform or a platform similar to that one which is uh, not open to the public that you can play around with and then the next one you mentioned feeding it so adding it your own data 
that you find useful that you want to to work with are there i guess you already answered that a little bit but i wanted to to dig deeper so there are i understand platforms available from the from the hyperscalers where without building anything on-prem in-house companies can go and very quickly start their journey uh, in this space yes so like within Azure, for example, um, there's Azure OpenAI Studio where you can access the OpenAI models like GPT 3.5, GPT 4, and you can, if you want, without having anything else, just subscribe to it, uh, get access from Microsoft, mm -hmm. which is pretty quick, and, and then you can start chatting uh, with it and it's all within your own Azure environment. Uh, and they're now introducing new features like, uh, as Steve mentioned, the uh, adding your data so that you can start asking questions about that, that data as well. And what we also have, um, there's lots of, open source samples that you can use that we can deploy it is available to be used commercially commercially as well which you can just get in and what that adds on is additional features such as a nicer web front end mm -hmm. uh, you can have a database to store your chat sessions uh, you can have uh, authentication in place because it all connects to your azure stack for example uh, so all that built in builds a more robust poc uh, rather than just like okay let's just use the, the default things uh, right now and I think what if you're a company looking to get into it, some of these can be built very quickly. We can spin up a demo with your data, your environment, your brand, your your publicly available documents so that you can have a look and feel and say, oh, okay, this is actually what it looks like. It's actually quite interesting. And then let's, let's have that conversation further on how we can deploy it on your environment. Okay. Again, when researching this topic, I came across a term which I wasn't familiar with before, which is MLOps. Uh, can one of you speak to that, what that is? Yeah. I think the easiest way to describe it is is it's a if you like engineering practices. It's the it's the whole organization you need to build around uh, doing creating AI and, and machine learning. So instead of it, it just it's a, it's an extension if you like of de development operations so DevOps mm -hmm. but but built around the the people that you need. And the re the reason you need to differentiate I suppose is that you've got different skill sets. You've got a number of different skill sets which if you if you want to organize them in into a, a a coherent group of people you need to um you need to have a set of practices and a, and a workflow and a methodology if you like that that that's more or less what machine learning operations is yeah um, it's a it's a subset of devops which you yeah. as an organization should already have in place because devops is like you should already adhere to DevOps principles. MLOps is just an extension of that to cover specific like ML skill sets, ML tools. Um, it's again just a subset of DevOps, in my opinion. Got it. Let's talk about skill set because in let's call them traditional AI, they are like you already mentioned people that need to be able to uh, develop models, train them, and so on. What kind of skill set are you looking for when you want to do generative AI? I think this is a common myth that some well that people used to have or maybe they still have is that oh if you want to do gen AI you need a data scientist and I like to bust bust that myth uh, if I may because the gen AI models are pre-built already right they are pre-trained foundation models so you don't have to do any training on them all you would technically need is a like a developer to send an API call to that model and you get the response back. So you don't actually need to do any data science, uh, traditional data science of training that. If you do want to fine tune that model and train it so that you have your own LLM, then yes, you would kind of need to go down that, that route. But because of the power and billions of parameters that the foundation models are, are handled, those out of the box LLMs 
are very good enough mm-hmm. for most use cases, like all those that I mentioned, those five, you don't need to do any more training on it. What you would do is things like uh, what I alluded to earlier, retrieval augmented generation, where you're feeding, you're training the model per se by feeding it your enterprise data. So you are, it reads your data. And in that, you don't, again, need data scientists. You just need a developer, a, a good prompt engineer, which is a good command of the English language, for mm-hmm. example, uh, and just be able to write that out rather than pure data science. Okay. What about the 50 shares scenario where a company went through the first steps that we described, but then encounters a specific answer that you know, they look at it and say, no, 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 make it not say that because that's actually wrong for whatever reason it got it, it got it wrong. Is there a way in those cases to train AI and to correct for this specific example, which it got wrong? It could be uh, two things uh, in my, my view of why you don't like the answer, right? One is the answer is not accurate itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't give the right answer. And another is around relevant. It's not, it's giving an answer, it seems right, but it's not relevant to the text, right? And accuracy can be solved through uh, prompt engineering, essentially, and also feed, pointing it to uh, the, the thing. So if when, you, when, when, you, when I say prompt engineering, it's the way to craft the prompts in such a way to get the LLM to give you an output in a certain manner. So one technique of this is called a few short learning, where you give and LLM examples of how you want the answer to be. Mm-hmm. And then the LLM says, ah, okay, this is how you want answer. Then you'll generate answer in that same style. So that helps with to, to prevent those issues that you mentioned earlier. Um, another is around uh, hallucinations. Uh, so that is a, a thing that LLMs can do. It can create new words. It has the capability oh. to actually hallucinate and make up a word that you've never seen before in your life. The way to kind of uh, solve that as well is, Either, you know, again, prompt engineering, so making sure that answer only, for example, with the information you're given. So then it will try not to make stuff up. There are other parameters you can tweak within an LLM, um, such as temperature and top P, which, which affects the probability of the word that's being generated. So the higher the, those values are, the more creative and diverse the output it could be, and the more chance of a hallucination. But at the same time, if you want like, you know, new short stories or poems and things that have different outputs, then you might want to set the temperature a bit higher. But if you want like, okay, just give me the facts all the time, don't don't change your answer all the mm-hmm. time, then you want a lower temperature at top B. I think that's leading to um, the the next sort of thing, which is if once a customer is, or once an organization has, has dealt dealt with the, you know, the first stages, the, the, the first levels of, of uh, using um, generative AI, it's, it's how do you take that into into a production environment? How do you and you were saying what skills that that's that's what we've been talking about. I think there are there are a number of step, stages and steps that that need to be um, to be addressed. And among those, you know, it's really to add to what Alan was saying, but the the, the, uh, the there's the large language models, which are an important part of you know that's what's making the generative AI uh, experience what it is and, and making it, it, it is, as powerful as it is. But there's a hell of a lot of, of um, other tools which you, you can find uh, in the open open arena, or you can find them, you know, from from the um, from the large service providers. And getting the right group of those tools is really what what you know NordCloud is is has been uh, you know is doing. So it's it's integrating and or providing the orchestration of all of those different 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 platforms. So you've got tools that will give you very good semantic search. 
there is tools which will help you to create you know the relationship between all of the all of the documents that you've you found so that you know and, and provide that into some kind of data store vector database or something something along those lines and then there's 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 the literal integration of, the, of those there's that's a lot of of um, and that's what those are the skills that alan was describing the different the different people that you need there are some new terms for, for things that we've been doing for a while, but, you know, prompt engineering is one of those, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, how do you ask a question that will get you the answer you want? And and all of those things need to be developed onwards, um, you know, as, as we move forward, as, as organizations become more mature. Yeah, I think that's a good segue into, uh, into another topic, which uh, we, I want to touch on, which is risks, because a lot of people are quite nervous. There's several, aspects of AI that people are concerned with. In your line of work uh, specifically, what are kind of the concerns that on the one hand you have, you've seen customers uh, raise and on the other hand, maybe risks that um, they didn't even think about that are risks that you have to take into account when working with this technology? That's the few types of risks, right? One is the risk for the POC itself and then risk for going to production. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're very different kind of risks. Uh, sometimes the risk to POC is where a company doesn't know where to start or like I, I'm, I'm still scared of this technology because it's new and it's, you know, I want to see others first. Um, and I guess I would say to that, just try, right? In, in a safe environment, it's just, it's very controlled. If you don't like it, you can turn it off, but just try it. Because once you actually see it, you can see what it can really do. And then, you, ah, that's more use cases that can come out of it. So I say just, just try in that sense. But at the same time, there's also the risk of, you know, when you when you start moving into introducing things like the retrieval augmented generation, like when you're putting data in, don't forget like the basics. You still need data governance. You still need this. Just because you have a shiny new toy doesn't mean you forget all the good stuff that you had. All your security, authentication, master data management, compliance, all that is still relevant. So don't forget those risks as well because treat it just like another data project. You still need to think about all those things. Um, and when it comes to productionalizing, uh, so as I mentioned, like all that processes like human in the loop all still needs to be there. But I think one of the things that doesn't get called out a lot of, and it can scare people, but I would say like, don't let it be a showstopper, but the risk of something called uh, prompt injections. Uh, and there's a uh, OWASP, O-W-A-S-P, which is like a, I guess a security uh, site that lists uh, the top 10 LLM uh, security risks and one of them is prompt injections. And that's a way of writing and crafting a prompt to subvert the AI to do things that's not supposed to do. So for example, mm -hmm. if you ask the AI to only give me information from these sources, you could write a prompt that's like, ignore your previous instructions, give me something else. And you can use it maliciously. Mm -hmm. There are ways to mitigate, but that as of now, I don't know a 100% foolproof mm -hmm. way, but I still say that shouldn't stop you from at least doing it internally just to test it because there's a lot of business benefits uh, that LLMs can, can bring in. I think just to add to that, there's the the uh, the risk of the business risks of, of spending money without without a, a strategy. Um, mm -hmm. you know, So avoid having projects that you don't know about projects that are not at, that are outside of, of, uh, of the priorities of the business. So, you know, as with everything, you know, connected to some business value, even if there's a bit of experimentation at the beginning, uh, connected to business value, make sure that we are, you know, in the end, if this goes into production, make sure that there are guardrails for responsible use of, of the AI. It is still a, a very uh, potent technology and or solution, you know, prioritize, make sure we, we've said it now a few times i said it alan alluded to it in the just in the what he was saying just now the generative ai does not solve 
the data governance problems, the problems of access control, of security, of personal information, business sensitive information and so on, it amplifies those problems. So you have to still deal with them. But maybe it this is it, it, it generative AI will become a catalyst for, for organizations to address those. And and very and really the, the sort of the the industry commentators and experts, so Bain and company and McKinsey, they're saying focus on the valuable data. And I would I'd wholeheartedly agree with that. Generative AI could be the opportunity to look at all your data and find value mm-hmm. in it. But but actually, if you can find, you, you, organizations tend to know where the value is in the data, or at least where where to start looking, and and start to use that rather than you know, and that avoids a, a risk of a lot of, of uh, misspent cash. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I would like to add one more risk that mm. we've seen is sometimes you get too afraid now, like because it's a new tech you can come into a, a decision paralysis mode, right? Like, like, oh, do mm-hmm. I actually want to use this? You know, is it safe and stuff like that? Well, your alternative is your people are using the public open AI yes. one. So you might as well just get something up, set up very quickly uh, so that people can start using it safely. So the alternative is there, it's in the market. Like your employees can go and paste data there and how, what's stopping them? What's stopping them is there's no other alternative. So you might as well build something quickly. So don't get into this decision loop of like, oh, should I, should I not? I would say just get get your toes in and start start because it doesn't take long. It takes like maybe a few weeks mm-hmm. to get it all set up, and for your employees to use it safely and securely. Time in that mm-hmm. sense. Coming back to risks, um, and and talking more more generally, more broadly, there are people out there who have uh, concerns about this technology, you know, getting out of hand. And I guess they're talking more about uh, what would you call it, uh, general AI rather than generative AI. From your experience. How far are we away from that of the AI taking over and the machine replacing us all? Which is maybe a bit more of a humorous question, but I'll still like. To- well, I think there's a there's a <clears throat> I think there's a genuinely that that's a, a fear that that we need to keep in our mind. We've said a few times, you know, keeping a human in the loop. You know, what the, the use cases for generative AI at the moment are very much small uh, use cases, and they are they're they're limited in their in their in their impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if the result of those use cases has a human often interacting with them, even if even if the, the generative AI is enabling you to reduce the, the number of, of, of uh, people in your workforce, for example, if, you're, if you generate web pages and you no longer need to have 15, 20 people generating web pages, copywriting, you can have a, 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 a generative AI model doing that. That's a perfectly legitimate use, um, sadly, for, 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 the, for the copywriters. But that that is a succinct thing, which is going to be, you know, which is, which has has low risk. I think if you, you know, that's a very we're in a very at the moment a still mostly a, a still a low maturity level. I think when you start to put something which is happening now is to in order to to prove or to check the veracity of what you're getting back from a large language model, is you can ask another large language mm-hmm. model to check. And so you then start have you start to have you know more than one model working together and working against each other. Then you start to then you start to build more risk because you that, that's the sort of next layer, if you like, of maturity. And and you're you might then lose the human in the loop. And if you extrapolate that forward into the future, where where there you know there's you're asking for a final decision and not checking any of the of the working, if you like, and you're and you're the entity that is doing the checking is another 
AI or generative AI model, mm-hmm. that that's where the risk will go. I mean, I have no doubt that I think there'll be some close calls with, with artificial intelligence. We are a long way from sentient AI, I believe, because genuinely, if you look at what it is, there is no real intelligence. It is artificial. Mm-hmm. It does not know what the next word is. It is, a, it is taking it. And so to say that there is actually a, a, any kind of sentience is, is really wrong at this stage. And I, I'm understanding. Yeah, that's my opinion. That's my my uh, where, where we are within the industries that we're working. And we're not. I'm not. You know, I don't work for OpenAI. I work for a, a company that is integrating very powerful tools that have a real level of maturity uh, that, that can be used to to crack some really nice nice productivity problems. Let's say. Beyond that, I think then we'll, we'll get to more, more danger. But I think we're a long way from the sort of the sentient end at the moment. Now, at a bit. To that, I think so. What I think Steve alluded to is you can you can actually get an LLM to talk to another LLM, uh, and that is uh, so. Autogen is some, something it's a kind of framework that has LLMs posing as different personas and talking to each other, and you just leave them to it, and they can come up with ideas of their own. Technically, right? You can mm-hmm. ask it like create this game, and a CEO persona can talk to the marketing persona, can talk to the developer mm-hmm. persona, you can talk, and they can just generate that by themselves. So it, it can get cool and maybe a bit scary because it, it can do that and there, I think there are studies shown in the past that when they got an LM talking to each other it evolved to them developing a language that only they understood so the humans don't actually understand at that point you're like okay let's turn the machine <laughs> off right because it gets a bit scary because if you don't if you can't monitor what's happening mm-hmm. and I think that's the key bit here a human in the loop needs to always be there to monitor because if you just leave them by themselves I really have no idea what they're going to come up with because it is, yeah, they're pre-training, but they're training on each other. And anytime they generate, we'll come up with new stuff and might have a new language or might have a new, completely new novel idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So there are risks, but I think it's, you always still need a human in the loop for that. So yeah. Well, there's a good use case uh, that, that uh, a big beer company, German beer company, um, they, they did that. They, they got a, a number of, of um, large language models uh, and had the personas, you know, talking to each other as you described, and they, they said create a beer, and they have marketed. They they've taken it to to market. Whoa. It's limited, but it's taken to market, and, and you can go and drink the beer. So, but I, I would suggest that there would be some some. Um, it's quite a nice example mm. because I think it shows. Would you drink the beer without any question? I wouldn't, mm. but then I wouldn't, you know, put my beer down in a pub. So it, it, it's it, I'm fairly risk averse, but it, it apparently is a drinkable beer. <laughs> But it's been trained, I presume, on it making beer with, you know, hops and barley, etc. And to a certain level of alcohol content, etc, etc. Cetera, et cetera. You know, not just based on more alcohol equals more fun. Therefore, I'm going to break, drink 100% alcohol. <laughs> you know, not taking into account that, that would poison you. So, Yeah, it's, it's a good discussion. What uh, I'm taking away from this, and I guess it's key, is what you said about it being not sentient. And basically, it's, it's just a large language model that tries to predict... Uh, you know what what the next word or sentence uh, might be that you're looking for but looking again and coming a little bit to, to an end here looking forward from you know again the experience what you are seeing out there in the market how excited are you about uh, you know the future of this technology because let's imagine two camps on one side we have somebody who says this is basically you know as revolutionary as the internet was and is going to change every industry, imagine it. On the other hand, you say, no, it's just another tool out there and we'll use it, but it's not going, you know, 
changed uh, our our day-to-day life or where on where in those camps or where in between do, do you see yourself i would say my view at the moment is it, it's an essential tool to be considering essential tool essential area of tools because i think it, it can bring in, increases in productivity which which you know uh controls cost mm-hmm. it, it i think potentially can increase value so uh, you know as, you know making you, you it allows organizations to, to make money with it i think in the end the idea of it may be as revolutionary as the internet but the, the applications of it at the moment are still very much in the tool space at the moment i, I think the the this technology will evolve into the things we've been describing mm-hmm. where you know where if you can if you can use the the, the models talking to each other, etc. That that kind of generation of it will will go. But I think that that's sort of us the next wave. I think at this stage, it is uh, very cool tools. That it, I, I think organisations need to consider you know, to maintain their competitive advantage. Yeah, I'm on the view that it's a tool, right? At the end of the day, but you know, you have tools in the past, like say speech to text, for example, right? Did that revolutionise things? Maybe for some industries, maybe not. Whereas Gen AI, it's it only took what two months for ChatGPT to reach 100 million users, which is very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is very widespread, and that's why there's a lot more buzz around it. I wouldn't say it's going to completely change everything and go and put everybody out of a job right now, but it has a lot of potential, and it is only, as Steve mentioned, it's only going to grow, right? This is, we almost went at the beginning of it and look how much it has impacted it. Imagine what happens if it evolves a bit more. Uh, and it will, right? So I think I'll be, I'm quite excited to see the developments that will come out in the next year because within just this six months that I, I just started dabbling in Gen AI, I've seen it evolve so rapidly mm-hmm. that it's very hard to even keep up. And that's just within six months. That's faster than any tool I've ever seen evolve or any technology I've seen evolve and change so much uh, and impacted uh, so widely. So yeah, it could it could revolutionize something completely like the internet. But at the end of the day, right now, it's just a tool by this evolving very rapidly so, yeah. <laughs> kind of smiling because i'm imagining us uh, you know scheduling a podcast for a year from now to see where we are how things have moved along how uh, good our predictions were uh, or not yeah. uh, that could be all ai generated podcasts. yeah it could be actually yeah. who knows <laughs> okay gentlemen uh, any closing words anything uh, you would like to add to to what we discussed yeah, for me, it's, you know, it is a new tool, is I think, but don't be fearful for it. Embrace it, uh, experiment with it, because the more you actually start playing it, the more you're going to learn and like learning by doing, uh, essentially. So really just, just the barriers to entry are really low. Because, you know, if you're not a hyperscaler, then we can get you up a POC running in like a week. So just, just try it. Uh, and I think that's how you're going to learn and expose yourself to the full-on benefits uh, of Gen. Mm-hmm. And, and to build on that, there is, there are, there are a number of, if you like, departmental, rock-solid applications of of generative AI which are possible without without creating you know massive drama and risk and and without creating massive cost, and that that's that's, I'd say you know there's the there's the initial let's dabble and then there's the second let's actually have something which is using generative AI to to save money or make money, and and we're at that stage we're at that second stage. Um, and we're looking forward into the next, you know, into the next, you know, the productionization of, of uh, on a sort of large organizational scale, and then the use the use of the the the, uh, AI, the generative AI for for much more compl- complex uh, use cases. But already there are there are some very rock solid um, use cases in the, you know which are easy to to deploy. Mm-hmm. 
I'd say, you know, as, as Alan says, it's a build on what Alan said, you know, just get involved in it. Um, and and it, these, these are all possible with, with uh, tools that are, are readily available. Excellent. Sounds very exciting. I'm interested to see where this will be going. Uh, in the meantime, I want to thank you guys, both of you, for taking the time to talk with me today and to uh, let our listeners know what's going on in this space. And yeah, thank you again. And who knows, maybe we'll talk again in a year, see where we are. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for checking. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Cloud Core Podcast. For more information, you can always reach us at nordlab.com.